Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see all the kids this morning. Glad you're here. I appreciate what Tom had to say, and and we will continue to uh, communicate to you on behalf of the deacons um, in terms of the the ways in which you can be a part of that ministry. Uh, We... Um, you know, started that just about three years ago, and still, we're, so we're still learning how to uh, kind of work within that framework that God led us to um, as we set forth um, that ministry. Um, but I think the important thing that I would want you to hear that that Tom communicated is that we really feel the obligation, uh, and we feel like it's uh, given to us in Scripture that we need to take care of our own. That when people have needs within our body that we should be, as a body, the ones who care and love them through those needs. And sometimes uh, that is just uh, an arm around the shoulder uh, or a cup of coffee just to talk about what's going on. And sometimes it's physical and tangible to help them, as Tom said, uh, have money to get food on the table or keep the electricity on, which when it's 104 degrees outside, that's pretty important, right? So we would just ask you to consider that. And... uh, and, and, and we're, uh, we want you to have the freedom to contribute to the benevolence needs of our body all throughout the year. There may be a time when God surprises you with something and you ask yourself, well, I wonder what I'm supposed to do with this that I didn't expect. This may be one of those ways that you can contribute to a need within our body to help folks out who find themselves in difficult circumstances. And so would ask that you prayerfully consider that. And uh, you can do that at any time. So appreciate that. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, how many of y'all have ever heard a sermon that God really speaks to your heart, and then the very next week, he puts you in a circumstance where you actually have to apply it? Anybody ever have that happen? Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> well, guess what? It happens to me, too. It happens to me, too. And in fact, it happened to me this last week. We learned about being content in any circumstance, didn't we? Well, this past week, I had to fight for that contentment. I think I did okay. But I understood, perhaps more than I ever have, that learning to live in that contentment is a process. In fact, it's a moment-by-moment process and not just a one-time decision. You see, I've never been chosen to sit on a jury in my life. I've been to jury duty a lot of times, but this week of all weeks, I was chosen to sit on a jury. Donnie was in his last days. I had a sermon to prepare, and yet I was locked in a courtroom for three days listening to a gut-wrenching custody trial involving two boys the very same age as my two sons. And I'll tell you, there were a couple of days that I left that courtroom weeping as I heard what these two boys had been exposed to and the very high likelihood that they would never know life any different than what they had already seen. And it broke my heart. I told Terry it was good for me in the sense that it gave me a glimpse of the world outside of our protective bubble. A world where domestic violence, prostitution, drugs, and alcohol are a part of the normal day-to-day experience of many in our own city. 
A world where innocent children are born and grow up assuming that that life of corruption is normal. That everybody does drugs. That it's okay for dad to hit mom. And that violence is a necessary part of survival. Now that's not true. But when you grow up and it's the only thing you see, it becomes true. And for many, that world is the real world. And the peace that you and I experience on most day is something that they rarely taste. Joe Rogers told me that when he was at the DA's office, he was specifically responsible for over 4,000 cases of domestic violence a year. He said that that represented about half of the numbers that the police were actually called to in a given year, which represented about half of those that actually occurred in our city. That's 16,000 cases. And he said, don't be fooled. It's not just an east side problem. It happens right next door. You see, once you're exposed to that reality, you understand all the more clearly how Paul would say, this world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we long, we long for our Savior to return and make it right. You see, when we remain in a sheltered environment, I think we can lose that perspective. Having seen what I saw this week, my prayer has been renewed. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, after the trial, I turned to prepare for the memorial service for my friend Donnie this week. I've shared with you before how that hits close to home. But God was faithful, and I pray that he was glorified in what took place this week. And as the week came to a close, I turned my attention to Sunday, and uh, I was ready to do what I routinely do, and I feel like God had something else in mind for me this week, and so I've postponed what we would normally do in our series till next week. And this week, I want to just share with you a little bit of what it was like for me to sit in God's classroom of contentment, <laughs> to tell you my story of what I learned this week in hopes that in some way you can relate and it will be a blessing for you as well. In a way, I would consider it kind of an extended application from what we introduced ourselves to last week. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray for strength. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in my heart, my life, my mind to speak your words for your people at this time, for your good purposes. I pray that that word and your spirit would penetrate deeply into each of our souls to cause us to see you in a way that draws us closer to you and gives us a heart and a desire to obey you, to worship you, to glorify you, in all that we do. God, lead us and work within us as we spend our time this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
Well, because I don't want this to be a story about Todd, I want it to be a story about God. And so we're going to begin, actually, where we left off last week, or one of the passages that we looked at last week, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So why don't you go ahead and turn to to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and let's look at this passage together. We're going to start in verse 2. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Listen as I read beginning in verse 2. Moses says, And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Last week we talked about how the passage told us that God let them be hungry and then He fed them. We discussed how God purposefully put the Israelites in a place where they were dependent upon Him. They were hungry. He allowed that. And then he gave them food. But verse 2 gives us a little insight behind the reason for God's actions. If if you look, it says in the second half of verse 2, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Now let me just ask you a question. Does God not know? What is in your heart? Is it a mystery to him? Absolutely not. And we know that, in fact, because the psalmist says, for God knows the secrets of the heart. In the book of Acts, Peter testifies on behalf of the uncircumcised believers to the Jerusalem council. And he says in that communication, he says, and God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did with us. God knows our heart. And so the testing He allows is intended not to reveal something to Him that He doesn't know. I believe that the testing that He allows in our lives is intended to reveal something to us that we need to know. God purposefully puts us in circumstances where our heart is exposed. Places where there's no more pretending. Places where we see what He already knows to be true. And at least in my experience, the longer you walk with Christ, the less surprised you are with new things. (laughs) Typically, it's the old things that keep showing up again, isn't it? but what a patient God we serve. He doesn't give up on us, even when we would probably give up on ourselves. Very gently, He tells us in these trials, we're not done with this yet, but stay close to me. I'll show you the way. This week, I was reminded how much safety I find in routine. 
I have certain things I like to do on Monday in order that I can be ready to do the things on Tuesday that I normally like to do. (laughs) So that by Wednesday, I can do the things that I do on Wednesday and so on. But when I got called for jury duty, my Monday got bumped to Tuesday. And then when I got chosen to sit on a jury, my Monday got bumped to Thursday. Not to mention the fact that Donnie was in his last days and all throughout the week. I wanted to be with him. The circumstances God allowed revealed to me how much peace I find when life is predictable. And how anxious I become when it slips out of my control. This all began to seek in when I sat down with Stephanie as we prepared Donnie's memorial. She explained how Donnie would often talk about how grateful he was for cancer. If you were there yesterday, you heard me share how Stephanie even said that there were more good times than bad. That they did not look at this disease as a curse as much as it was a blessing. Stephanie explained to me, she said... You know, before cancer, Donnie was a bit of a perfectionist. (laughs) He wanted to have everything just right in a certain way, and he was a planner. And as she described him, I thought, that's me. She's describing me. And then she said, but after cancer, he became less cautious and more spontaneous. Instead of counting the cost, he sees the moment. He realized that we have no guarantees for tomorrow, and so he learned to live every day to the fullest. Zach, his son, would say, Dad, let's go run through the sprinklers. (laughs) It's a crazy idea. Why would we want to do something like that? Son, I don't have time. No. He said, yeah, let's go do it. The cancer taught Donnie that life is too short to miss those moments. And as I sat there and listened to Stephanie, I thought to myself, I want to learn to live that way without having to learn the lesson from cancer. My circumstances reveal to me that I lose a lot of joy by not living life in the moment. I too easily trust in what I can control instead of resting in his hands. But this is not a new lesson for me. (laughs) This is an old lesson that continues to to resurface, and through my circumstances, God allowed it once again to rise to the top. It was no longer hidden beneath the surface. But he didn't stop there. I was anxious because of all that happened and what it did to inhibit the things that I felt like I needed to do and and that people were expecting me to do. I had already mentioned the, the burden that I felt with not being able to be at Donnie's bedside. I promised my my family that I would go out of town and and I felt like I would disappoint them if that didn't happen as well. There there were people in the hospital that I I just knew were expecting me to come by and and see them. When Donnie passed away, I was still on the the jury and I went before the judge and the counsel and explained my circumstances and I said, listen, if this is going to compromise this trial, then I'll stay. But if there's a way for me to be dismissed, I would like to be considered for that. They had an alternate, and so they graciously let me go. But even as I was walking out of that courtroom and leaving those fellow jurors, I thought, what do they think? They don't want to be there any more than, than I do. Have, have I 
disappointed them or, or, or let them down. What about those two boys? There's a decision that is going to be made to protect them. Is the right decision going to be made? And then I remembered a question that one of the attorneys asked me during the jury selection process. She looked at me and she said, you're a pastor, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, do you think because you're a pastor that you have some special ability that other people don't have? Do you have a special gift that makes you superior than anyone else in this room? I said, no, ma'am. I'm a human being just like everybody else. She said, that's what I thought. And then she went on to explain that her brother was a, a policeman. And that very often she had to remind him to put away his Superman cape and quit trying to save the world. <laughs> when I looked in the mirror of my circumstances, I saw that I was wearing that cape. I was trying to <clears throat> be all things to all people. And instead of saving the world, I was killing myself. I was carrying a burden that was not mine to carry. And God wanted to release me from the prison of other people's expectations. You see, God knows our heart. And because He loves us, He, he puts us in circumstances where we can see what He already knows to be true. This is what God revealed to me. And then I believe He brought me to a place where He gave me some insight into the lesson He intended me to learn. So I want us to look at that together. Turn, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 6. Turn to verse 30 in John, chapter 6, when you get there, please. John, chapter 6, verse 30. says this, they said therefore to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Now I want to stop here and make sure you understand the context of this verse, because what has just happened, I mean just happened, is that Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread. They're still picking bread out of their teeth, and they turn to Jesus and they say to him, what will you do for a sign that we can believe in you? What work do you perform? Can you believe that? He just fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread. What kind of work can you do that we might believe? Then they look back at what we've examined in Deuteronomy. And they basically tell him, our forefathers didn't have bread just once. They had it every day. Can you do something like that? What the people were asking for was a long-term guarantee of provision. The miracle of today wasn't sufficient. They needed the promise of his continual supply a storehouse of bread, so that they could rest in his future provision instead of depending on his daily promise. 
look at how Jesus responds in verse 32. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said, first of all, the bread didn't just fall out of the sky. And not only that, Moses is not the one who deserves the credit. You see, the bread was a gift of God by his mercy. A gift that he gave to the people so that they may have life. Because very practically, if he did not give them that bread and nourish them with the water that he supplied, they would have died in the wilderness. The people hear this and they say, perfect, that's it. That's what we want. Give us that bread. Look at what Jesus says in verse 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the ones who come to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that who, everyone who believes and beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus said, I am that bread. I am the resurrection life. I am the only one who will satisfy the hunger of your soul, both now and for all eternity. When you have me, you have everything you need. The people were asking to see and believe, and Jesus said, believe and you will see. As with many of the examples in Scripture, I think we look at something like this and it's easy for us to to examine these people and these stories and say, what in the world were they thinking? (laughs) He just fed 5,000 people. And yet they were still looking for more. Talk about some stubborn-headed people. (laughs) Be very careful there. Because if you wanted to compare on a scale of the miraculous, you would find that multiplying loaves falls well short of turning a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. The miracle of your salvation makes the feeding of 5,000 look like a, a card trick. But yet, we too still often ask for more, don't we? We're really not all that different, are we? God continues to put us in circumstances which reveal our heart. In places where there's no pretending. 
places where we see what he already knows to be true. And in doing so, his desire is that we come to him to satisfy our need. Trusting not just in what he does for me, but more importantly, who he is to me. My Savior, my friend, the bread of life. Knowing that when I have him, I have all I need. That is where God brought me this week. Learning to be satisfied in him. Praying continuously. Lord, thank you for being with me in this moment. I need you. Thank you. After all, this is the lesson of contentment, isn't it? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Like Paul, we learn to be content, not because of our independence, but because of our complete dependence on Him and His grace and mercy towards us. Like Paul, we, we learn to be content. And depending on Jesus is the bread of life. Remember, God wants us to live abundantly in the absence of things we think we need. I often think I need routine. (laughs) I need to find peace in the predictable. And God says, I often reveal myself in unexpected ways, things that aren't predictable. I can lose sight of today (laughs) in the details of tomorrow. And God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Seek first today my kingdom and my righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. I can lose sight trying to meet the expectations of others and God says, you have been approved by me and entrusted with the gospel. Speak then not to please men but to please me the one who examines your heart. God, put me in circumstances, as He does with all of us, that reveal our heart. And then, with beautiful graciousness, He presents Himself as the one who satisfies our need. So come to Jesus. Find in Him your heart's desire. Walk daily in His presence and be satisfied with your dependence upon Him for all your needs, moment by moment. He's the bread of life. And when we come to Him, we will not hunger and we will not thirst. He is all we need. Rest in Him. Come to Jesus. Now I want to give you a chance just to think about what we have looked at together, how this applies to your own life. I may be the only one that goes through what I've described, but I suspect there are others. And so I just want to give you some time to think about what we've examined and uh, listen as you do to a very uh, a new song that describes a lot of the heart that I've shared with you, and I pray that it ministers to your heart.
we pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear, and we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love, as if every promise from
The rain, the storms, the hardest nights All your mercies in disguise God, we are grateful for your mercies in disguise. We are grateful for your patient persistence, for what you reveal to us that we need to see that in some way can be used by you to draw us closer to your loving arms, to understand even more deeply that you are the bread of life. And then in you we have our hope. And in that relationship we have a moment-by-moment peace that we rest in your loving hands. Father, thank you for the trials that reveal our heart in ways that inhibit us from experiencing that truth. But then the offer that you always extend that says, Come to me, you who are weary, and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Pray for each person here that they come to you, Jesus, that they find that rest, and they have hope of their salvation through faith and trust in you. May it bring within us a joy that supersedes all of our circumstances and invades our life every day. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.